it's, it's a very right. painful position to be in, which is I picked you, but you didn't pick me back. Right. right. Or right. You, you're questioning me. Nobody ever got divorced and went, it's because she was ugly. He was so ugly, I couldn't look at his face anymore. You can have one soulmate at a time. Hi, I'm Rifka. And I'm Ida. Welcome to From the Inside Out, now a global community that keeps growing every day thanks to each and every one of you. Right here is where you'll discover life-changing insights from some of the world's greatest thinkers, leaders, and our everyday heroes. We believe that meaningful change comes from taking inspiration and turning it into action. In fact, that's how this podcast was created, in an Uber, where we were both inspired by each other's life experiences and how much we could learn from each other. We're so glad you've joined our conversation today. The path to meaningful change starts right here, right now. From the inside out. Hi there, and welcome back to From the Inside Out. I think this has been our longest stretch since the release of our last episode, and that is because we have some really wonderful things coming your way. We've been working on them, including the release of a new YouTube channel where you will get to see us live, not just audio over here on the podcast, but you'll get to see awesome highlighted clips from fantastic upcoming guests, including our guest today, who is trending now on Netflix as the Jewish matchmaker on the Jewish matchmaking show, the one and only Aliza Ben Shalom. And today's episode is sponsored by L. Lane Jewelers. How appropriate is that? Because once you listen to this episode, and I hope you get many tools and tips in your dating experience or your children's dating experience or your friend's dating experiences, which lead to many good matches, soulmates, engagements, and then you can go and purchase your engagement ring at L. Lane Jewelers. I highly recommend you go there. I actually have my engagement ring from there and I love it. Lane Jewelers has a very unique selection. All their pieces are beautiful. They're high quality. I know Levy and Shaney, the owners of L. Lane Jewelers very well and they're just lovely, warm, trustworthy people. And if you would like to purchase something from L. Lane Jewelers, and that includes your engagement ring, go to uh, podcast notes. You will see the Instagram page at L. Lane Jewelers, or you could go to their website, or you could personally, if you're in Brooklyn or visiting Brooklyn, Crown Heights, go to their shop, their beautiful shop on Kingston Avenue. And if you mention that you have listened to this episode, you can purchase something from them and you will get a free gift to go along with that. Their website is llanejewelers.com. Enjoy your free gift to go along with your, no doubt, beautiful piece of jewelry. If you would like to be a sponsor on one of our upcoming episodes, email rifkaandida at gmail.com, R-I-V-K-A-H and Ida, E-D-A, at gmail.com. And about Elisa, she is a renowned matchmaker, dating coach, author, sought-after speaker, and soulmate clarity expert who empowers marriage-minded singles to find and identify the one. Elisa also authored two insightful books, Get Real and Get Married. She is also the founder of Marriage Minded Mentor, and that's actually a course that I took, which I thought is great. For over 15 years now, Elisa has worked with men and women worldwide to break unhealthy patterns and foster relationships that lead to marriage. During this time, she has trained more than 250 dating coaches and matchmakers worldwide. She and her husband have been married for over 20 years. She's a dedicated wife and loving mother of five children. Her lifelong dream of moving to Israel has come to fruition, and she now resides with her family in Pardes Chana, Israel. And actually, isn't this a small world, but my daughter and son-in-law and little grandson, 
live right near her in Paradis Khana. And Aliza and I have become friends, which is so special. And you'll hear why within the episode, something new and exciting and really very meaningful that I've been doing now for almost a year that I've been wanting to share with you. This is definitely the most appropriate place to do so. And just to share a quote before we go right into the episode, a quote that I heard yesterday from somebody that I met at an event that actually Aliza invited me to, where I met the whole cast from the Netflix show. And yes, I met uh, this particular woman through Aliza, a new client of mine. She quoted, and I love this, be thankful for what you have and be fearless for what you want. If we can all embrace that balance of being thankful to Hashem for what we have in our lives right now in the present, and to also be fearless about asking for the blessings that we want. There are so many singles that are ready to find their soulmates. So if we can all be fearless and ask Hashem and open a channel, a channel for blessings from above by taking on something spiritual, something that challenges us, that pushes us a little bit past what we would normally do by being open to a new perspective, by shifting our perspective a little bit, perhaps by something insightful that we hear today in this episode, by being positive, being open and fearless. May this be a channel for many good matches to come our way. Be'ezrat Hashem. Now let the conversation begin. We are so excited to have you here, especially since I just uh, binge-watched Jewish matchmaking, and it's great to now see you in person the day after I finished. <laughs> I, we have met before, full yes. disclosure to my listeners, that this past year I became a matchmaker, and I met Eliza. Yeah, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I met Eliza before I knew she was going to become the Jewish matchmaker on this new and trending Netflix show, very popular one. And uh, I decided to take your course, and I highly recommend it. It helps me to trust my intuition, things that I already know, but you kind of reveal. I've also learned new tips for guiding people in matchmaking. Many people say to me, I wonder how Aliza became the Jewish matchmaker on this show, Jewish Matchmaking. Can you share with us behind the scenes how you became a matchmaker and how you came to be on the Netflix show? Absolutely. So I was home and we just, we got married, we had a couple kids and I was, there was a lot of baby talk and I love children, but I didn't know that I loved adults. <laughs> so <laughs> I really was missing adult interaction and I was looking for something to do, but I didn't want to work outside of the home. And my girlfriend said, oh, I'm a matchmaker on this uh, dating website. Why don't you try being a matchmaker? I said, oh yeah, I've kind of always done that growing up and meddled in people's business, but for the good, only for the good. <laughs> and that sounds pretty cool. So I signed up for the site, I got started, and I fell in love with the matchmaking process, but not just matchmaking what everybody thinks. So, so I'm going to explain it like this. People think that a matchmaker makes matches. What do they do? They introduce two people. Yay, you are a matchmaker. That is one of three parts of being a matchmaker. There's three different roles. And the first role is called the introducer. And that's what I was doing on this site. And I liked it. And it was good. And then I used to call people on the phone and I would get to know them and how are you doing and how can I help you and what's going on with this match. And I would mentor them. I would coach them. I would support them through the process. That's the second job that a matchmaker has. And then when it came to decision time, are you my person? You know, yay, over my hurdles and under the chuppah or no, thank you. Bye-bye. We're done checking out. I call that the closer. 
That's actually the third job that a matchmaker has. And in Judaism, traditionally, we pay our matchmaker. They get a, I'm going to call it a success fee upon engagement. And you're supposed to split that fee between those three different roles. So if you're the introducer and I'm the mentor and the closer, you get one third, I get two third. If you're the introducer, you're the mentor and I'm the closer, we would split it, you know, one third, one third, one third. That's how it's supposed to go. So the, the big myth in the world is that a matchmaker is just an introducer, and that's only one of three very important jobs that they have. And I, to me, I fell in love with the whole process. If you ask me what I love the most, I'm actually an excellent closer at, like, I call it soulmate clarity. Yes. Yeah. How do you know if this is the one? Everybody, how do you know? I know. That's my expertise. And I can help people to get that clarity. I love the mentorship and the introducer part. I'm happy to do it, but I, I really only like making really, really good matches. So it's so hard for me to go like, it's a good match, but it's not an outstanding match, right? I only want to put something amazing in front of somebody. But the process of dating is that you never know which match is really going to hit. And I can't always go based on my judgment and, and you still have to make these matches. But I, I fell in love with really the second and the third part of the process and I, I do all of them now, but I also network and I have a team of coaches. I have a team of matchmakers. I train matchmakers and coaches just like you. And I help people get started in doing this in their own either community as, um, we used to call it people who like make matches on the side just for fun. We would call them dabblers and somebody just renamed it fiddlers. Like Fiddler on the Roof. They're not dabblers, <laughs> they're fiddlers. That's great. So we just, re, we like names and titles. Matchmaker make, matchmaker make me a match. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yes, I agree with you. I thought I was just going to put people together and right. match them up. And then I see that the guidance aspect is really necessary, so necessary. in order to actually make, some, make it happen because there's so many little nuances. Someone could call something off where if they had a little bit of guidance, they might not. They might not. Exactly. Or they'll keep going where... They, Where they we, shouldn't, they shouldn't yeah, call them. And you exactly. can give them some clarity. It's exactly. an objective perspective, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. so each require there's a certain skill required for each part, like part one, part two, part three. Yes. And you've got to know how to do part one, part two, and part three. Or you can say, I'm a great introducer. There's um, a very well-known matchmaker, Tova Weinberg. I don't okay. know if you guys know of her. Yes, I met her in Israel. Okay, she's phenomenal. She makes matches. She's an introducer. And when people want to talk and coach, she's like, call my friend Aliza. Uh-uh. <laughs> I, I think that's great. I'm the introducer. Yeah. I know my role. Right. I don't want to do that part of the process. My expertise is here and I pass that off to somebody else. And, and then matchmakers really, this is a very collaborative business. We are all working together for the greater good of making the match. And you need to send people to the person that can help them the most in whatever part of the process right. that they're you in. You probably could sometimes, I think it's nice sometimes to do all three because Absolutely. the introducer, they, you know, you connect. They build a rapport with yeah, them. And then you right. do the next step as well. But sometimes you may, may not have the time or you may feel so, like you may or, be better. Or it just isn't their area of expertise. Right. So, yeah. they, Or they don't love that part of the process. But there are people you, I think, can do just, all three. I've been doing all three. Yeah. 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 Maybe so, that's why it's so hard. Yeah, that's that, why that you're it's developing. so time consuming. Well, that's maybe I'll develop so one yeah. niche that works, but at the moment I'm doing all three and I, I do actually love all three. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, we'll see. But yeah, to the second part of the question. So how then did you come to be the matchmaker on Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> so the funny part of the story, 
uh, a matchmaker made the match. <laughs> Casting. The so there was a show out called Indian Matchmaking. Yes. Right? Very popular. It came out during the pandemic. Everybody had binged everything else. They started watching that. Right. It was a huge success. People fell in love with Indian Matchmaking. And the producers went back to Netflix and said, this is a great show. Let's do it again. They said, great, you know, let's do season two. Let's do season three. They said, and we want to do Jewish matchmaking. We think you have a brand here. Let's branch off and do that. And they said, find me a matchmaker and then we'll talk about the show. So they went on a casting search to find a matchmaker. They were doing interviews with matchmakers all over the world. Uh, and a colleague of mine who I had trained, who took my Mentors Academy, which is my matchmaker training course and coaching course, uh, she called me and she goes, Eliza, somebody's going to call you from a casting company. I told them you're great on camera. You always have something to say. They wanted me. I don't want to do this. That's not for me at all. This is totally your thing. They're calling you. I said, Okay. <laughs> so she was the introducer. So she was the introducer. She put us together yeah. and I did a casting call one and a couple weeks later, another and another, and you advanced through the levels. And at a certain point I said, it's good. You're calling me back, right? It's not like you got a bad tape and you need a, you know, a replacement. It's like, you like what you saw. You want more. She said, yes, yes. Keep going. Give me more. Wow. So, uh, thank God. When did you find out that you were actually hired? So I, I kept telling them, I said, listen, we're actually making Aliyah. This was summer of 2020. We had decided we're going to make Aliyah. We had plans of doing it within the next approximately eight months. And uh, they kept calling me through the summer, through the fall. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm not going to live in Philadelphia anymore. I'm moving to Israel. And they're like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I said, are you sure? Because I'm really moving to Israel. <laughs> like, even if you offer me the job, I will not stay. I am going to go to right. Israel. They said, yes, yes, it's okay. I said, okay. So we board our plane. We arrive in Israel March 1st. It's still March 1st, 2021. It's one year into the pandemic. We arrive, Mazel Tov, Aliyah, you're in quarantine. Go to the hotel. We have a quarantine hotel for you. Oh, oh my you, goodness. Oh you we were in that situation. That's, that's how we got out of... Uh, that was your welcome to Israel. That was our welcome to Israel and bye-bye America. Welcome to quarantine. Oh <laughs> So we were there for Gosh. a week and then another few days. We were there for 11, 11 days total. We were in quarantine and we you went. You and your husband and your five and children. So we had three of the five, two okay. we actually sent ahead of us to go to boarding school and start because they were in high school. I said, you can't come midway through the year in high school. They're never going to take you. So we sent them to a boarding school early on that supports okay. students from outside uh, of the of Israel so that they can get a, a higher education in Israel. So we... We finished quarantine. We get out. We're in Jerusalem. Go to dinner. And then where do you go? The hotel. You go to the hotel. Davin, pray your heart out. Thank you, Hashem. I made it here. My five kids, my husband, a dog, our lift with all of ourselves. My dream come true after so oh many years. God. Finally, I always wanted to make Aliyah. And, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I almost, I thought we were never going to make it because that's what everybody was kind of saying in my family. And, um, my phone, I was finished my prayers. I'm backing away from the hotel and my phone starts buzzing. And, uh, I realized that I'm 15 minutes late for a meeting with the producers because I was busy having my meeting with God and I wasn't busy <laughs> having my meeting with them. And I'm getting on the phone and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, hold on. Just had a moment. I'm in, I'm at the, the hotel. The, it's not necessarily all Jewish, uh, right. you know, team. I said, hotel, Western wall, whaling wall, whatever you guys call it. That's where I am. It's the whole holiest place in the whole world. And I'm really sorry. I forgot about your meeting. I was, you know, talking to God and not right. you. They said, Oh, we're so sorry. 
to disturb your blessings and prayers. We're going to let you get right back to it, but this is probably the best place in the world to tell you. We're sending you a contract. We The show got greenlit. We're moving ahead. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> crying again. Just so grateful to be able to live my life, live my dream in Eretz Israel, yeah. doing exactly what I want to do and being a light unto the nations yeah, and amazing. inspiring people and teaching them about matchmaking, which is, I think, the most fun and entertaining profession that there is. And so finding beautiful. out in the holiest place yeah. in the world. Oh. And I want I kind of wanted that God yeah. stamp of approval. Yes. Yeah. I wanted God to say, I'm on board, you want to do this, and I'm going to be side by side with you and support you through this, and you'll have everything that you need to be successful. God presented you the right thing at the right time. Thank God. And that's what you're doing with matches. <laughs> yes, and the you, right thing at the right time. The right time. thing at the right time. And you said most of your family felt this was never going to happen, and you made it happen. And that's yes. what I love about matchmaking, that something that seems impossible yes. can become possible. Yes. Because it does say, and like you shared as well, matchmaking is one of the hardest things to do in the world, the hardest right. job. And it says in the Talmud that um, uh, making a match, a shidach, is kasha kakriyat yamsof. It's as hard as splitting the Red Sea. Right. So do you want to share with us how you have come to make 200 matches? So I'm going to first start by saying it comes through different means. So sometimes I'm the introducer, sometimes the, I'm the mentor, sometimes I'm the closer, sometimes I'm all of them. And sometimes it's also been... Uh, I'll get an email from somebody. I was listening to one of your podcast episodes and I learned such and so, and I was going to call you for some support and coaching, but I just, I followed your advice. And had I not followed that, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mazel tov, I'm engaged. Thank you. Like I, I credit you with making this match for me. So a piece of advice, just for example, is you can only move as fast as the slowest person in the relationship. And this person that had emailed me said, I was the fastest one. He was moving kind of slow and I was getting tired of it. So I was going to pull like the ultimatum and be like, well, are you in or are you out? And she said, I listened to that. And I said, well, he's not ready. Let me give this thing a little bit more of a chance and let's see where things go and how they grow and what can happen. And she said, it took longer than I wanted, but we got to where we needed to go at the pace that he could handle. Wow. So it makes a really big difference when people have the right advice and the right wisdom at the right time. Right, yeah. right, and that could be difficult because if somebody's taking a very, very long time, is there a point at which you say, "Okay, move, I can't move right. this slowly." Right. So yes, there is for sure a breaking point, but it's different for everybody. Right. All again, ages, stages, backgrounds, communities. So for some people personally, they have their own line in the sand, and when they get to that date, they're like. Could I go a little longer? Should I go a little longer? Has the other person progressed enough to make it worthwhile? Are they still where they always were? Do I think that there is potential here or am I just on a hamster wheel spinning and eventually they're just going to pop out because they're not serious about the process and they're not moving in a, in a way and with all the support that they need to get to the end of this road? Right. So and that's yeah, there, why you need a matchmaker because and, yeah, you, and there, you need someone to walk you through that. For sure. And yeah. there are times where you have to say, no, right. This, this, we, it's enough time. And it's, I am not a fan of ultimatums. There are people that love it. There's a whole show on Netflix about ultimatums. And, uh, it makes, which show was that? Makes, I think it's called the ultimatum. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, it makes me cringe because 
I don't want to present something in that way. I would rather somebody say, I care for you. You care for me. I know we have something special. I'm ready to move to the next step. I see that you're not. And I see that there's not really a plan, not really a timeline. You're kind of just going with a feeling and feelings come and go and they shift as time goes. And if there's support for us to see the potential and move this ahead, I'd love to continue. If we don't have the right support or if we're not moving in a direction with support, I, I don't, I can't move, I can't continue because it's, it, like it breaks my heart, right? I probably care for you and know more clearly that I believe you're for me and, and you don't know that I'm for you and I, I can't stay in that for too long. It's, it's a very right. painful position to be in, which is I picked you, but you didn't pick me back. Right. right? Or right. you, you're questioning me. I don't ever want to be with anybody that's questioning me. I want you to know I am your world. I am right. your everything. And you're, you're a maybe about me. And then even if you pick me, you were once a maybe about me. Like it's, it's a very, but sometimes that happens that, all the time. It happens, yeah. but it's, some people can tolerate it more than others. Right. So anybody who has its challenges too, being yes. on, on both ends, you know, being on the, if, if someone's moving too fast and the other one's moving too slow, who isn't sure, um, what's getting in the way is, and I've, I've heard this a lot and I, I'm curious to know what you think. They just, there's something that feels not right about the person, but everything mm-hmm. else makes sense. Right. And they don't know what to do, where to go with that. Is it my, do I try, is it my gut feeling? Right. Is it something that I need to listen to, like my intuition? Or is it just like a, an external mishagas that shouldn't matter? It's just, I'm overthinking it. Well, are you, are you talking about the actual person or are you talking about that they don't feel an excitement? It could be either one, right? Well, you, you have somebody who's ready, right? And the other one is kind of unsure, right? It might so not necessarily be the one who Anything is. wrong that they see in the other person, just that they're not feeling a certain spark. Well, when there's nothing is that wrong, what you're asking? the question is, so what's right? Right. It can't just make sense in my brain. There, there does have to be a feeling and an emotional side to it, but everybody also has different levels of need for emotional connection. So for some people, it's a very base low level need and it can be met very easily. And for other people, it's an over the top need and it's something that's only going to grow in time. And therefore the relationship needs that time in order to build that connection and to feel that in, like I'm in because I feel something, but what I don't love about this whole concept is that feelings come and go. Right. You're nice to right. me today. I like you. Right. We have a little thing and our date doesn't go so well. I don't. Right. Oh, we have an amazing date. It was wonderful. Good environment. Good atmosphere. I feel wonderful. Oh, we had a difficult talk. Oh, now I'm out. Right. Right. Feelings come and go with the wind. So let's say that's the, the situation. What the do feeling, you do? The feelings are coming and going for the per, for one of the of the parties involved. Right. So I like to go into their real life and to say, in general, how do your feelings work? Does this happen to you with your friendships? Does this happen to you in your business relationships and in your work life? Okay. If you're in and out like that, then this is just normal and I'm not worried about it. You need to keep dating. If you're pretty consistent and level and you're not up and down so much, and this is out of whack a little bit, then I want to know what's going on. Then I want to understand what's, what's, What's your heart or your gut saying to you and what's holding you back? And it might just be a thought of, I imagined that I would marry somebody like this. And there's a certain picture of that. And I met that. And therefore, that doesn't work for me. Often it's centered around a physical look. So I had a client and uh, she did what I call mystery in your history, where you go back and you look at either people you've dated or 
anybody in your circles that might be appropriate for you, your best friend's brother, your next door neighbor, anybody. So we, she made a nice long list of 50 people and we started going through the list. And this one was... 50. Got, yeah, she had 50. Okay. I've, seen, I've seen lists of 200. <laughs> 50, oh boy. 50 for me was So short. you went through all the 50 people? We okay. went through all the 50 <laughs> and we found the top three, the only three that she, were, she was really interested in. Mm-hmm. And of those three... I said, great, let's, you know, let's check them off. Put them in order of who you're most interested in. Ah, this one, I don't know where they are. This one, it's his look. I'm not interested because of his look. It's not my look. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. She goes, but he's a great guy. Actually, I'm going to set him up with my friend. I said, mm-hmm. Tell me more about him. She's wonderful and this and that, such lovely things to say. I said, you know what? Do me a favor. He's number one on my list, okay? This is an Aliza pick. Mm-hmm. I want you to write to him and say, I was thinking of setting you up with my friend. But would you like to get a cup of coffee? I know, like, let's, let's go. How about if we go out? So you're revisiting the relationship. There wasn't a relationship. There was just a, oh, she, she just knew him okay. through circles, you know, like an acquaintance. Yeah. But, but, and she knew that he was interested. Mm-hmm. So she said, yeah, but he's not my look. I said, are you repulsed? She said, no. I said, okay, go out with him. This is a slow grow. Okay. You like the inside and the outside, your eyes are getting used to. It's not what I normally look for. It's not normally what I'm attracted to. It's not normally what I like. No problem. Just go out with him, go out with him, go out with him. So she did. And this is kind of what I call date him till you hate him. No, it's hate. one of your terms. That's one of my terms. But no hating, no hating right. allowed. It's the opposite. It's just catchy. Yeah. It's just catchy. <laughs> it's, it's the opposite of everything I believe, but everybody remembers it. They even titled episode number one, date them till you hate them. That's how catchy I it is. That is. <laughs> so, you know, you have a hit when they, they right, like it right. for a title. So, uh, she said, Aliza, first we did mystery in your history and we found somebody. And then we did date them till you hate them. And I didn't hate them. I really liked them. And the more I liked them, the more, the easier it was for me to look at him. And then it just became very sweet. And, and the attraction came? The attraction came. I am sure she still looks in the world and whoever she sees that was her version of hot, she mm-hmm. still thinks is hot. But and she married this guy? Four kids later, she just saw me. I just saw her recently in Philly. And she said, thank you. She wrote me a whole letter. It was beautiful. That's so and, nice. Uh, she said, I, I wouldn't have met him. You, right. She said, you were my introducer. And you were my mentor. And you were my closer. You helped me to just keep going out till I could figure this out. You gave me permission and time to do that. And right. he gave her time as well. So it's kind of like she wasn't... So the thing is, she may have been attracted to somebody else but she may not have the same attraction to this person that she married. Correct. Correct. We're going to have a different attraction, but you also have to realize when the inside is so When the values match. And values and how they treat you, those things get better over time, not worse. And everybody wrinkles. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much Botox you get. Everybody wrinkles over time, but personality and charisma and love and how they treat you, it doesn't sag. Right. But for some people, attraction is really important. That's a priority for them. Yeah, it is. But here's what we don't hear enough. that. But I think this is an important message. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's important that because people often will focus so much on the, let's say, two to three years of of, or however long blissfulness Mm -hmm. lasts at the expense of the 75 or more years right. of actually living with a person. And you have to think about that. Yeah. You like, you're thinking about marriage. It's not just a, you know, a fling. It's not swipe left and hook up. It's, this is more than that. So you have to know what, you know, what you're looking for. And mm-hmm. 
So it if it's someone be, it that you're very tricky, someone that you're extremely attracted to, let's say, might not be the person that that is going to give you a good life. They also life. might treat you poorly. They yes, might not saying, be emotionally not that you can't have both. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. not that, but, um, but some people do get both. Do you know what I'm saying? It, you don't, some people yeah. win the lottery. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> have you won recently? <laughs> <laughs> Got to play to win. But when you get your Bashert, everybody wins the lottery, right. right? You get your person, that's your person. It just might not be what you imagined, but it doesn't mean that it's not your person. It just means that it's not your imagination. But it could be part of the problem today with many singles is that the focus is attraction. Go back but, in time. Yeah. When was attraction never, like a nothing in the world? It was never well, a nothing in the world. It says in the, the Torah that Sarah was beautiful and yeah, Amakas right, were beautiful. Right. What that meant, it's really like a right. podcast title from the inside out. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But, but there is, we are bodies and souls. Yeah. And I think that we have to make peace with the fact that there is an inside to us and there is an outside to us. There has to be an amount of attraction. How much? To what degree? Emotionally? physically, everything else that's going on intellectually, what do you want and where are you willing to have it be different than your vision? Okay. Maybe some people are going to get their vision. Okay. Out of the entire world, uh, 2% of people are going to get exactly what they want. Is that your, yeah, um... yeah, about 2%. I mean, most of us don't dream within the framework of what's normal and real. We're dream. It's a dream. That's why we call it a dream. Right. But there are dreamers who are more realistic dreamers and they know also who they are. And so they also know who they match. So if I have this vision and this dream, I had, I had this one woman, she had this vision and dream and she was going to marry this tall, dark, handsome man over six feet. Of course, all of these wonderful qualities. How tall is she? 4'10". <laughs> I said, listen, I love you. So she didn't really Please she wasn't aware of her save the men that are over six feet for the women that are over five eight. You know, that's not, it makes it difficult. And yes, we can date with different heights and I've seen couples work like that, but majority of the people, they're not going to do it that way. And you're 4'10". A guy who's 5'4 is practically a giant to you. It's fine. <laughs> she makes her whole long list of everything that she wants. And the one thing she didn't get, he really was 5'4". <laughs> he wasn't six feet. And for me, I'm going, yes, right. thank you. <laughs> and sometimes you could have someone that's six feet and someone who's five foot one, but they match intellectually or they match in their a- Anything in their works out and, yeah. and you never know. I'm just saying... we. There's always going to be amount of things that we don't get on our list, in our vision of what we want. So no matter what we get, I think almost everybody is going to be a little bit let down because my vision of what I wanted was so much greater because a vision can be anything and it's not human. It's just not in reality. So it's, it, it's challenging. Right. It's just challenging to rectify what I want with who you are. Right. It's probably a general, a general question, but how much attraction would you say that there should be? How would you express that to somebody who says, I don't feel the attraction that I would like to? What should they be feeling that's realistic? My baseline is you can't be repulsed. Okay? If we're not repulsed, then we're either, I'm going to call it neutral minus, neutral or neutral plus, somewhere in that range. Otherwise, you're attracted and woo, that's not even a problem. So, and that I, can cause problems too, because then your, your attraction uh, can cloud. I don't like the super attracted ones. It usually is like fireworks and woo, amazing, right. <sighs> crash and burn. It's not my favorite at all. But I like people to be usually around neutral or neutral plus. Neutral minus is a little hard to get out of, but somewhere where it's like, well, it's not my look, but he or she is okay. Just not what I would consider 
top of the top if there's chemistry, if there's banter, if there's an interaction that's happening and something that feels really good. Even in the show, one of the people on it said, you know, not my look at all. And then after a second date was like, well, he grew on me a little, right? Not my look still, but, but better than the last time. So we become comfortable with people that we become connected to and that treat us really well. And that does make them look better in our eyes, but it does take a period of time. And there's some people probably, we can call it around 15% of people in the world, you're never going to change. <clears throat> their look is their look. You either give it to them or do not set them up. Let it be and wait three months or six months or a year and only set them up when you have their look. Everybody else in the world, we can really, they're, they're, they have a, a lot more flexibility. And there's some people that are very low on the look preference. I've had people tell me, I really have no preference. I said, I'm going to test you. Tall, short, dark hair, light hair, diff different facial features, looking like this. That. No, I really don't care. You sure? Because bigger, smaller, this, that really you're okay. Like, I haven't met anyone that's told me they don't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a small percentage it's a, right. of people. Like, like we have the 15% in the top half and we have the 15% right. in the bottom half and we've got 70% in the middle that have some preferences, but live in the world and, and understand how it works. So there are some people who they unequivocally want a certain look yep. and you know it and you're not going to try to convince them otherwise. I, I, I'll, so I'll test I them. I want to know okay. if there are exceptions to that rule. Let's say I, no, so I test them. Okay. So, okay. Tell me about exceptions. So let's say for example, you feel like, okay, this, this, let's say this guy, um, wants this kind of girl, but realistically you don't see it happening, but mm -hmm. he's just so certain that that's <laughs> what he wants. So where would you go with that? So realistically, I don't know what's going to happen. So I don't have that assumption okay. that it's not going to work. I don't know if I'm going to have that person in my network, but I don't assume it's not going to work. So just that's a baseline thing. Okay. <clears throat> what I do to, like I said, test, but I don't mean test as a test. I mean to see how far they can stretch is I would say something like, um, I'm, I'm going to give you an example just from the show because it's relevant and, and I think listeners might uh, appreciate it if they've watched. So one of the uh, clients that I had, he wanted somebody Israeli and blonde hair and blue eyes. And I gave him a beautiful Israeli, but she had brown hair and brown eyes. Yeah. Okay. But she was, she's an actress. Gorgeous. She was gorgeous, stunning. And he even said, she's beautiful. And then it was like, yeah, but I still need somebody with blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. Okay. And wasn't so, it a Sparty that he wanted with blonde hair and blue eyes? Yeah. So it was, yeah, yeah Sparty, Israeli, Israeli, yeah, yeah. Sparty, yeah. right? Uh, he, no, he was open to Ashkenazi, actually. Okay, okay. Yeah, the mother okay, okay. wanted Moroccan. Sorry to okay. right. So I, it's not that I tested him, but I want to know how flexible we are. Here's a beautiful, incredible woman, intelligent, has so much personality, charisma, all of that. Is that enough? And, and just blonde hair and blue eyes, just those two things weren't there. And for him, it was like beautiful and still not exactly what I want. And I won't compromise on that. Which, so that's that. Right. So that's that. So the next option <laughs> is you make a, a suggestion of what they want, or you just say, when I have somebody, I'll be in touch. Right. So you kind of tested the waters <laughs> to see. Exactly. Right. And what about when, let's say, people see pictures and they're like, hey, that's not my look, but you, you know that maybe perhaps they even look better than that in real life. Yeah. I don't show them the photos. Then I ask them if they want to go on a blind date. Oh, I you do the that. blind date yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Not everybody wants to do that. Correct. 
Yeah. But some people are willing to, you have to earn somebody's trust to yeah. do that. And when you do it, you have to say, I'm not sure if it is or isn't your look, you're going to figure it out. But here's what I love about them for you. And here's why I think it's a good match. You have to justify why you're putting somebody in front of right. them. On the show, you did show pictures. I did show pictures, yeah. but some people I set up on a blind date. Right. I went both ways. It, yeah. it depended on the person. Um, I think the blind date thing is great if, I, if people are open it. to it. But it. a lot of people are burnt out. They've been dating so much. They're like, <clears throat> I, I just, I want to be more intentional. I want to see who I'm going to be going out with, you know? So one of the guys on the show, he went on a blind date for the first one. But then after that, he said, okay, I want to be more intentional. And I would like to see, you know, photos and confirm it's an okay look for me. I said, that's fair. But yeah. thank you also for trying a different right. way and going outside of your comfort zone. You really never know what's going to happen. Yeah. I think it's, you have such a high success rate that it's so important to have somebody that you trust yes. when you're looking for a shidduch because it, it enables you to become more open-minded and yes. say, okay, well, normally I wouldn't go out with somebody without seeing a picture first, but I'm going to trust you on this way. I'm going right. to do it. Right. And, yeah. and I like that you said, you know, I don't assume that it won't work. I think that's a big one because you really don't know, like there's no algorithm for, you know, like love. the God, the there's God, no is, yeah, yeah. The, you know, the John Gottman has this mm -hmm. whole kind of algorithm for, couples once they're married not before mm -hmm. um, he can predict with like 99% accuracy whether or not they're right. going to get divorced right but you don't have that with dating and singles like and I find that often people will say oh the person that I had in mind that I would marry not the person I right. ended up marrying is that, do you go in with that mindset I just don't know I'm going to use my intuition but I I will never assume that it's not going to work right so I I don't assume it won't work I assume that if both sides are willing to say, yes, there is potential, there might be a low level amount of potential in my opinion, but there is potential. I have been surprised in a few cases. So, uh, I had a couple and I learned a very important lesson. He had a medical condition and her father was a doctor. Okay. So in my head, I'm going, mm, this isn't going to fly, right? He knows too much about medicine. He's going to know the exact opposite was true. Hmm. The father said, oh, what's the condition? Oh, let me call my friend who's so-and-so. Can I talk to his doctor? Talk to everything, heard about everything and went, you can marry him. He's good. No problem. I understand medicine. I'm not afraid of what that is. I get it. No big deal. I was like, wow, <laughs> big lesson. Yeah. Big, big lesson. So we don't know what's going to happen, but we do need to set up smart matches. I don't think that it is the right thing to just say, if you ever say this, don't just take it back and say, I'm sorry. Just go for the cu a cup of coffee. What can it hurt? It's no big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. I have to take time out of my day, schedule around it, get dressed, make an effort, fight traffic, pay to get there. There's a lot of effort that goes into dating and emotionally I'm gearing myself up. Maybe I'm going to meet my person and then I don't meet them and then I'm let down. Right. So I'm not going for a cup of coffee unless I think there's potential. Why is there potential? You got to tell me, what do you know about me? What do you know about them? And why do we even belong on a date together? If you can't justify it, don't make a match. Right. So then usually it would be the attraction perhaps that you're not doing exactly like they requested. If I'm going to lean into something, I'm definitely going to lean into giving somebody on the inside what right. they really want than the outside. Right. Because if you get the outside and what you really want, but the inside doesn't match, for sure it's going to land in divorce. Yeah. But if you get the inside that you want, but the outside, like nobody ever got divorced and went, it's because she was ugly. 
He was so ugly. I couldn't look at his face and nobody says that. People become ugly because of how they treat you. So if the inside is flawed and not refined and not a match for you, it's never going to work long term. So I don't even want to make that match. So I'm more, I will either make a match that's good on the inside and good on the outside, or I will make a match that's good on the inside and hopefully good enough on the outside and, and see what happens with people. But I will, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Never really make a match where I think it's good on the outside, but not so good on the inside. Do you have a preference working? Well, not a preference, Mm -hmm. but do you find, how do you find men and women are different in this whole dating process? Do you find one more difficult or like challenging maybe than the other? I think general question. Yeah. I think men stereotypically get a bad rap, but I don't think modern day that that's true. I think that men uh, happen to be more committed, more loyal when they're actually dating for marriage. They're pretty intense, serious. They're analytical about the process. They want a lot of information and data. Like they're, I, I enjoy working with men because a majority of them happen to have that type of brain and that's how they think and process. Well, especially if they're coming to a matchmaker. Right. Yeah. Right. If they're willing to experience and invest in a service yeah. like this. Um, women, modern day, happen to also be more, we have more masculine traits today than we ever have had for women. And so a lot of us do have this analytical side to us and they're willing to do that. And then there's the other side that's just like the emotional, I don't know, whatever I feel, either I feel it or not. So the feelers in general that are very into the gut, but not into the logic, don't come to me as much because they're never going to trust, not me, they're never going to trust anybody except their own gut. The only thing I could do for them is ask clarifying questions and let them come up with their aha moment, but you're never going to be able to give them a perspective that doesn't line up with them. They, they're not going to feel it unless they feel it, and they're not going to trust it unless they feel it. So who is it more difficult to work with? It, it, it's difficult to work with everybody <laughs> because, <laughs> get mad. because everybody, we all have preferences. Yeah, and we all have vulnerabilities. I was difficult and... to work with too. You were difficult to work with too. We're all difficult. You, I was you too want young, you want. but yeah, um, to be difficult. <laughs> Became difficult after I got, after I got married. Um, but what I wanted to tell you, ask you is, do you think that there's more, and don't you find, I mean, this is my experience right now, that there's more single great girls around Okay. Versus so here's great guys. I might be wrong, but this has been my experience. Okay. Here's my theory on this. First of all, I don't think God does fuzzy math. Okay. So I think that a person yes. comes in this world and his God is match. And there's soul, a soulmate here. We yes. know that that's how it is. Yeah. I believe that that's true. Years ago, it used to appear in the world to be the reverse right? Many more men, not so many women. As soon as a woman came on the market, boom, she was scooped up because we were in short supply and short, and we were in high demand. Modern day, it feels the reverse, not just in the Jewish world. I work with matchmakers across the globe with all different backgrounds and everybody is feeling and seeing what you are describing, which is it it appears to be that there are more women available than men, but I still don't think God does fuzzy math. And I just think that we we, have to find them. I just don't think that we see what is there. I think if we look at the world population, I don't think the numbers are off by so much. So there's something that we're not understanding. Is there um, overlap with Shaduchim or the matchmaking process? You know, you have the Orthodox world, which obviously we're more traditional and we have Mm -hmm. more ground rules versus, you know, let's say the secular world. Do you find that there are just ground rules that apply across the board? doesn't matter where you're from or, you know, where you come from and like, what are some basic ones if there are? 
So I, I make up my own ground rules. Okay. <laughs> but you work with non-Orthodox and Orthodox, Correct. Right? I work okay. with everybody. All ages, all stages, all backgrounds, all locations. And so your ground rules apply no matter who you're working with. They do. Got now, it. I mean, I might have specific rules or I might... I, I have a base level rule that I modify depending on which community you're from. So one of them is what I call my five date challenge. There's several parts to it, but my favorite part is the no touching for five dates. So if you observe Shomer Nagia and you're anyway not touching and dating, this doesn't apply to you. Keep doing that. But if you're anybody else in the world, my suggestion is that you don't touch for five dates. Once you go on the sixth date, Aliza looks the other way. Nobody <laughs> talks about it. And what happens, happens. But the biggest and easiest way to have clarity is to not touch the person. If you don't touch them for five dates, and what you're are, still together. And you're still choosing to see them for a sixth date. What do we all know? You, me, them, every matchmaker, all the friends. You know you like them. Them as a human being. You like their personality. You have values in common. You probably have similar goals in mind. You don't stick with somebody that you don't like, that you don't connect to. You're not going to be willing to stick around. If nobody's physically putting out, why are you sticking around? It must be, obviously, because you like what's on the inside. So if we have that level of clarity after five dates, we are so good. Whatever happens, happens. Maybe that'll build the relationship. Maybe that'll break the relationship. I don't know. But somebody was willing to stick around. To me, that's a universal rule. Uh, Jewish, non-Jewish, living in America, living in a, another country, it doesn't matter. To me, that is the single best indicator for clarity and a good match. So for someone who's religious, that wouldn't sound too crazy to try out because right. we have this concept of shamanagia, meaning that we They're don't not going to do it. I mean, they don't have to try it out. They're going to do it all the way to the chuppah. Right, exactly. Right. But I'm saying for someone who's coming from a world where this has not been a thing. And then we modify it even more. We do the three date challenge. Can you do it for three dates? And if they can't do three, then we modify it. We do two. Can you do it for two? And if they're really bad at it, then we do one. You're like, go out once. Don't touch them. Let's see what happens. But we need... I need confirmation that you like the human being in front of you. Physically, think about how much time a couple spends together being physically intimate in their lifetime. Now think about how much time they talk and connect and have to interact. Yes, you have to look at somebody. Yes, you have to be attracted. Your eyes have to get comfortable with it more than the physical touch has to get comfortable with it. That can grow later. We could figure that out later. But if I don't like you as a human being or I don't like you enough, and I'm going to anyway break up with you in two months or six months, I could actually figure that out in five dates and I could save everybody a lot of time. That's, yeah. I it's think powerful. that's smart. It's smart, but I agree with you that not the world is not going to buy into it, but I will but tell you this. But some people do after they've had experiences that have not worked out so well and they realize that their attraction may have overrided who they right. really want in a person. They might be like, you know what, this time I'll try this idea that you, you so have. So I'll tell you who likes it more, the men. The men like it more? Yep. Because the men like clarity and they like data and they like a challenge. And they're like, five dates and then whatever. I'm like, five dates and I'm not going to talk. I no conversation. It's good. Whatever. I would think women would be more open to it. Nope. Women are afraid. If I don't sleep with him by the first or second or third date, he's not going to stick around. I said, actually, the opposite is true. If you respect yourself and the relationship more, he is going to be there for you. And it's going to be a much healthier relationship. And the way that we are dating in the modern world is, is very difficult. The way that, you know, religious dating is, I believe, the way that it's meant 
to be where we have clarity, we have an understanding. There's a lot of tradition there. And in modern dating, it's a little bit more challenging. And this is why daters aren't getting married until much later. They're not having clarity. They're not taking the process seriously. They're not taking themselves seriously. We're dealing with only half of who we are. We're dealing with the outside and we're not dealing with the inside. And if we have a time period and we have to choose what comes first and what comes second, you need to deal with the inside first and deal with the outside second, according to Eliza. And that's why boundaries are not a bad thing. Right. Because um, we often feel like, I mean, religious religious people can sometimes feel like, why do I have to have all these boundaries? But then you see when you don't have boundaries, it can get even more complicated. Right. Because your, your judgment is clouded right. by attraction and all sorts of other things and perhaps touching, like you say. So uh, what I wanted to ask you about that is, yes, yeah, so in the, when you're talking to somebody who's not religious – would you, because we have time frames in the religious world, you know, that you're not going to date limitlessly. Right. Do you suggest a time limit? For dating? Yeah. I tell people that I don't care what background you're from. Within six months, you should know. If you're dating the right way and you're seeing each other consistently and you're communicating and you're asking questions, you should have clarity in six months or much less time than that. But it doesn't take you, you don't have to get engaged in six months. But to know that this is your person, I think it takes no more than six months for engagement. If you want to push it off till nine months, a year, depending on a couple and a timeline, okay. I'm not a big fan of waiting longer than a year because if this is your person, why are we delaying your future? You can still get a job, go to school, move to a new location. You can do any of those things with your partner. And if it is your partner, so choose them. And if it's not your partner, you're taking a risk in having a relationship that isn't consummated, that we didn't put a stamp of approval and go, I'm yours, you're mine. And I said no to the rest of the world. I just picked you. A promise, a commitment. That's really nice. Yeah, I think six months is good, actually. And after the five dates, when you say no touching, then then what do you suggest? I actually recommend that people take it slowly (laughs) and and that you allow the intimacy to grow. I think that in Judaism, we have many different concepts of how to engage with physical intimacy that are extremely beautiful and uh, that absence makes the heart grow fonder and, and it works with physical intimacy in the same way. And the connection and the satisfaction that one feels from being with another person and experiencing them is so much more when we have our insides connected first. So in the dating process, like there's all this talk about vulnerability and how vulnerable do we get without, you know, disclosing too much about ourselves. And sometimes, you know, saying too much too fast can throw people off, but then having this big boundary up doesn't allow for connection. How would you advise someone who wants to be authentic but not to the point where they're sharing everything. Like, how would you guide them? What would you say? It's a challenge because we want to be open. We want to be real. And the question is when. Right. Right. So on a first date, try not to talk about heavy baggage, personal history that's going to be depressing. Try not to talk about other people you've dated. We want to just keep things light. We want to build a connection. After a second date, a third date, I think that we could start to share a little bit about ourselves. We maybe want to talk about our hopes and our dreams and where we're heading and our goals and our future. And, and we want to talk about something personal, something, maybe an experience that we had where we learned something or where we grew. Those types of things open people up very much so. But when we hit a heavy moment where you say something and the other person is looking at you and you see they're like, 
kind of cringing and going like, oh my gosh, they're sharing that. You get that yeah. weird feeling. Right. That's a little bit too much too fast. And even though you might be ready to share it, you have to try to gauge whether you think that your relationship is developed enough where the other person is ready to receive it. So there's a very big balance between, well, I just want to share. It's, what, it's who I am. I want to share with you who I am and I want to tell you. And But you're not ready to hear it today. Maybe I need to wait two more dates and that's also okay. Right. And so just one thing that you said earlier about the girl who, you know, she feels that if she doesn't get physical, then he might not want to be with her. There's expectations and people trying to meet each other's expectations. So how do you balance? Like, you know, I can't remember who said this, but it was in one of our interviews. Someone said, yeah, this is the only time in your life when you have to be completely selfish. It's all about you. It's not about the other person, but it is kind of about the other person. So that example kind of stood out where this person's probably like experiencing conflict there. Like it's mm-hmm. about the other person, but I need to be selfish. Mm-hmm. Like where, where do you go with that? So there's this concept of if I give somebody what they want, they will like me more. Right. Yeah. It's not true. Right. <laughs> Sometimes if I give somebody what they want, maybe they'll like me more, but they'll like me more because of who I am, not because of what I gave to them. So in a, a relationship and where physical intimacy is concerned, If I'm uncomfortable and I'm moving ahead and I'm giving them what they want, so to speak, they know that I'm not respecting my own boundaries because they know that I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. They're probably feeling a little bit guilty about that. And they know also that if you can't hold yourself to your level of comfort and to your boundaries, you're not going to be able to hold them in life to their level of comfort or to their boundaries. And therefore they don't actually believe you're going to be the person for them. So if you give them what they want, but it's not what you want, it's going to end anyway. Right. It's, it's, it's guaranteed failure. And if you wait and it ends, it would have ended anyway because it wasn't the right thing. Giving them what they want won't, it's not going to make them actually like you more. Getting to know them is going to make them like you more. And then when we move on to intimacy at the time when it should be there, or at the time that you choose for it to be there, then, then it's, it's a better situation because we've developed what's on the inside. And I think for men, it does take them longer to get to know you, to get comfortable, to become vulnerable. In general, in the world, we're saying a very large generalization. I would say, right. you know, male teachers and therapists and things like that, they don't fall into that category. They can emotionally connect very quickly. But I think that women emotionally can bond very quickly and they're feeling connected, but the man is not there yet. And so you need to let him have time to come closer to you emotionally. And then you can develop the other parts of your relationship at another time. Don't, don't rush it. Don't rush it. It doesn't need to be rushed. The best part of you is just being with you. And if he doesn't think that being with you is the best part of you, he's not your person. I hear you. Um, Something you said on the show that I really liked was the door is always open and it's never closed. I, at that time, when I was watching it, I was dealing with a couple, well, a, a, a guy who was telling me how heartbroken he was over a relationship that ended. And then I discovered that she wasn't even sure she had wanted it to end. And we ended up bringing them back together um, and we'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. But um, I really like that I heard your quote at the same time that the door is always open. And you said on the show that 35% of couples who dated and broke it off get back together. Yeah. 
So I wanted to ask you, what would be the signs in your experience that a couple should get back together and when they should not get back together? Because it can be quite tricky. It's very tricky. So if you are feeling a desire to get back together and you think that your values, your goals, and all of those personality, those things are aligned between you, and maybe it was the wrong timing, or maybe there were outside circumstances and pressures that were on the relationship and it didn't work for whatever reason, that would be a good time to get back together. If somebody broke it off with you and you still have a desire we don't know where they're at. Don't assume just because they broke it off that they're not going to come back because 35% do come back. Make an effort. Know that it could go either way, but if you're feeling strongly about it and it's a smart match, if it makes absolute good sense, then do it. If you came out of a relationship that had spikes, you know, peaks and lows, high, up, down, it's problematic. It's probably, even if you're feeling like you want to get back together, it's probably not a healthy relationship. It's probably not a relationship that you can sustain. And therefore I don't recommend getting back together. It's it. You might feel it. You might want it. You might love them. They might love you. Love doesn't actually matter. You can't maintain a relationship for a lifetime when you have such highs and lows. Or they didn't have the tools to, like they may have not done it in the, dated in the right way. Yes, it's the tools, but it also could be personality. Personality doesn't change so much over time. Beliefs can shift over time, but personality, we're pretty much who we are from the beginning to the end of time. We just very slowly shift. But it, again, if we trigger each other and we're doing that in dating... It's not going to get better during marriage. It's going to get worse and harder. How do you feel about the word soulmate? What's your, what's your, when I say soulmate, do you, do we all have eight or, you know, are soulmates created or how, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? The first thing that comes to my mind is that everybody has lots of beliefs about this and a lot of them are wrong. <laughs> okay. Did and you I'm do, not saying, did you do your research? Here. I've done so much soulmate research. Okay, let's hear And I call you know, rabbis and rabbitsons and leaders and people who also know about these things. And sometimes they get these very vague answers. They're like, well, we don't really know. So I'm a logical person. So it goes like this. Number one, you can only have one soulmate at a time. One, at a time. I would hope at so. At a time. Okay. <laughs> now, back in the days of the Torah, right. apparently you were able to have more than one soulmate, but only for men, but not for women. But we don't live in those times. Modern day, you can have one soulmate at a time. Number two, if the way you make a soulmate, you get married. So we decide to get married. Yay. Now we're soulmates. In that moment, poof, it's arranged. We're soulmates. I picked you. We're soulmates. I love you. We're soulmates. I don't love you. We're soulmates. It doesn't matter. You get married. That's your person. That's your soulmate. You get divorced. Your soulmate, you disconnect. No problem. You're free to reconnect with a new soul. A person passes away. Your soulmate is not in this world anymore. You're free to connect with a new soulmate. How many soulmates can you get? How many can you have? I don't know how many times you want to get married. You can have as many as you could get married with. Right. I mean, in theory, you could have a thousand. If you get married and divorced every single day, you could have a new one every single day, but it's not really how it works. Most people only go through about one or two or three three or four, and, and on the occasion, five or six or seven or eight. But I, I don't think... Have you ever met anyone that had I've, eight soulmates? I've, I've heard about somebody oh. who's been married eight times, but only once. And the highest number is usually around four-ish. So getting married to someone makes them your soulmate. Is that your that's definition? A, that's how else do you... Before, no, because okay, soulmate... Because before that, you only have a potential soulmate. In right. this world... 
I'm not talking about the spiritual world alone. We're living in this world. So in this world, you have lots of potential soulmates. Everybody in this entire world is your potential soulmate. If you date them, oh, you're my potential soulmate. Are you my soulmate? Oh, I feel like you're my soulmate. That's great. That's a feeling. If you want to make it happen in this world, the action, this is a world of actions. The way you make soulmates is to get married. That's, that's when the binding of the souls happen. So feeling like a soulmate is nice. That's a feeling, but it didn't come with an action. The action is that we got married. We bound our souls and our bodies together. I'm for you, you for me. Anila Dodi, Vidodi Li. That's how it works. That's the only way that I know that soulmates exist. Right. I hear other people talk no, about No, you know, I've casually. heard other things. Like, for example, well, there's bashert and a zivog. Like, mm-hmm. you could marry someone. That's your bashert. And mm-hmm. let's say your definition of soulmate. But maybe your zivog, like the person you were really meant to. Well, I guess whoever you're married to, that's who you're meant to be with. Correct. Do you understand I, what I'm saying? I understand because I you know, I dig into this. Yeah. With anybody who's willing to have a conversation yeah. with me, this is what I hyper focus right. on. Well, and if I'm someone got to divorced, was were they their soulmate? Yes. Was that their soulmate? Yes. No, but then they married someone else, and then they felt like, oh, this was my. But that's soulmate. a feeling. This world exists on actions. When I bound my soul right. with you and Once I got you married, it, that's your soulmate. That's your yeah. soulmate. But then you can do. You know what? That's a very can, good approach listen. because it gets you into. You know, this is who I married. This is that's my, my soulmate. Person. Yeah, you're it all is. in. Yeah, you're all in. No, yeah. and and in that moment, that is the right decision for you in the right time, and that's exactly what God wanted. If God wanted it differently, God runs this world. I'm pretty sure God could have made you marry a different human being. So you can plug in, you can marry your, your potential soulmate, you can marry them. Now they are your soulmate. Now you disconnected, it didn't work, no problem. You are a free soul, like, you know, free radicals in the body. Now we have free souls in the world. You can go connect and marry somebody else. You can date somebody and they can be your potential soulmate. You can feel connected. You can want them to be your soulmate. But to me, they're not your soulmate if you're not married to them. If you're not closing the deal. You, if you don't, that's it. Shaduchim, right? The last yeah. job is the closer. Right. If you're not a closer, if you don't close the deal, you're just daters. Right. You're right. not soulmates. But we've, t- we've been talking about a soulmate in regard to this is my better, like this is who I feel. So better is- half, it's, it's, it's my other half. And my other half might be better, might be worse, might be nicer, might be meaner, might be perfect, right. might be terrible. I don't know. Right. But if I marry them, they're mine. So and you're I'm making theirs. soulmate a very practical term. Very, it's a choice, <laughs> meaning it's a choice. But, you know, saying soul is very spiritual. Soul is very spiritual, yeah. but in this world, we're bodies and souls. Yeah. And so we have to bind the two together. Yes. That happens through marriage. Yeah, I, I guess I mean to say people look at soulmate when they think of that, they think of romantic. Yes. I feel like this. Yes, clicks. I feel like this is my person. I've had people tell me, we dated we were soulmates, but it didn't work out in the end. I said, no, you were potential soulmates that didn't work out in the end, but you weren't soulmates. If you were soulmates, you would have been married, but you didn't. So you're not. And that's okay. But so you're it, redefining you know, like green, soulmate for I, us. I, I am. I'm going to write a whole, I love it. I'm yes, going to write I love a whole it. book I think it's on great. it. I'm writing a book on soulmates. I have, I know the title in my head. I have What's it. What's the title? The Soulmate Bible. Nice. Nobody else is taking it. It's mine. That's okay. right. She just <laughs> claims it right here, right now. <laughs> yes. No, the Soulmate Bible. I want to give over what my understanding is from all of my research and redefine and relook at things from the way that it really happens in the world. Take it from this spiritual into the practical, but combine the two of them. Cause it's not just a practical concept and it's not just a spiritual concept. It's, it's something that we have to mark in time in this world and that binds us spiritually as well. Yeah. I think it needs to be redefined. And I think the question of how do I find my soulmate 
needs to be changed to, well, wait a minute, what is a soulmate? Like, let right. me understand what a soulmate is right. before I start to get all these Hollywood ideas of what it might be. Right. And that's why maybe there is a shidduch crisis. Maybe that's part of the reason. I'd love to redefine it. And I'm not bought into that there's a shidduch crisis. Okay. I think that we have a, uh, a block in our understanding. And if we would understand things, it, there's not a crisis in the world. The, the crisis is maybe that people are not choosing to get married early enough. And that's not a Jewish problem. That's not a religious problem. That's a worldwide problem right now. It's one of the things I would like to solve and go a little bit back in time and say, yes, getting married younger is easier for people. It builds healthier families, healthier communities, and helps us gracefully get through life. And it's a smarter system. And so I want to bring back the days of, I don't think that we're going to be able to hit teens in the modern world, but let's talk about at least somewhere in the 20s. You need to be married in your 20s. You should make it your priority. Get your job, whatever. Fine. You will find your person. That should be the number one thing on your radar. And then the job and the other things, not when I have the money and when I yeah. have the job, I'll find my person. I will find my person. And because I have my person, I'll be an even better person. And right. the job that I can get and what I can accomplish in the world can be even greater with that person by my side. Yes, I found the experience of matchmaking really enlightening because I grew up in a world where we get married young and um, you wonder, oh, what would it be like to have all this time on your own to find yourself and then get married? Right. And then you and then you realize, you know, it's not a, it's a nice thing to actually grow together because then I watch people later in their 30s and 40s and they may have had their 20s, but they're already set in their ways and they feel stressed that they're not married and that can be hard. And you can do it in the reverse order. You can have your family. You can build your family. I know a woman who did this, and by about 42, her her children were already, you know, late teens, getting ready to get out of the house. By 45, everybody was out of the house, and she was having her, you know, second phase of life, and she was having the time of her life. And the 40s are, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s. <laughs> They're fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, go have kids when you have the energy and all of that stuff. And then, and then you still have the energy. And now you still have the energy <laughs> and go do things and change the world and but go I, enjoy. I think even more than that, I think you touched on something so crucial, and that is God's role in the picture. Because mm -hmm. you can think that you have everything under control. Like, okay, I'm going to get my career going in my 20s, and then I'll get married in my late 20s, and then I'll have kids in my 30s. And then things don't really often go as planned. Right. And when you remove God from the picture, then sometimes God will remove himself from the picture. Right. That's the whole concept of bitachon, is having full trust that everything is as it should be. So we really ultimately don't have control. Right. So it's nice to have these sort of, I don't know if they're ground rules, but maybe a Torah perspective on how right. to live life. What's the best thing that we can do that's based on age-old wisdom that's been around for millennia? Um, it certainly, to me, would make more sense than just making a decision on my own, you know, when I have the option of looking to, like, thousands of years of things being this way. And right. I don't know if it worked 100%, but... It just seems like things that make sense. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a smarter system. And I think... Because there are pros and cons to everything. For but, sure. Yeah. And not... This is... We're going to say generically, this is what we believe. And then for some people, yes, they had to go through a certain age and stage to mature and to level up. And they couldn't do it in their 20s. And now they are doing it in their 30s or their 40s or beyond. So I think that... We have to have an awareness that, that these are general concepts and general right. ideas. And everybody has their own life path, but I'd like for there to be a new social norm. And, and it's more similar to the old social norm than it is to the modern norm. I think it would be a better system. 
What, what would be what is nice today is that younger people are more self-aware. Mm-hmm. So True. they're kind of a, a step ahead than back in the day. Um, don't you find the biggest uh, asset that you have on your side is Hashem? Yes. In making a match. Absolutely. A hundred percent. People say to me, but how do you know my soulmate is out there? I said, well, because... You know, God and I, we talk, right. have a little bit of an understanding <laughs> yeah. of how the world works. And in the blueprint of creation, I know that your soul and your soulmate, like it's all part of one soul that comes into this world that needs to be, it's like a puzzle piece. It needs to be put back together. So I know it came apart and I know it can go back together, which means I know that it exists. For me, soulmate isn't a question of existence where I think for some people, if they don't have a faith-based approach to dating and love, then they're not going to necessarily have an awareness of their soulmate being here. It might be a question, how do you know? Well, I know because I know that that's the way the world's created, but they don't know it in the same way. What's the most challenging thing about doing what you do or the most surprising thing that you learned? I think the most challenging thing is getting somebody over whatever their hurdle is, and everybody has a different something. It could be a lack of confidence. It could be there's a physical look and it doesn't work. It could be, I'm not so stable and grounded. I need to get my life set up before I get my person set up. But everybody has a certain or several hurdles that they have to get through in order to gracefully get to the chuppah and to find their person. And that to me is the most challenging process. What do I, what should I really work on? How should I work on it, on it? For how long should I work on it? And then how do I approach dating based on you knowing who I am and what I, what I need? Did something, then, you know, then you had yeah. another question. Well, what, what, like, was there something surprising yeah. that you didn't maybe expect? like in this experience that you're like, oh, okay, well, this isn't something I didn't think, you know. I think certain matches sometimes surprise me. I I have a good sense and a good intuition and it's on, you know, often for me, much more than it's not on. And, and every once in a while there's a match that goes through and I'm going, hmm, I didn't think that was going to work. You know? <laughs> and then and then it does. And then it does. <laughs> um, the other thing that's a little bit uncomfortable is sometimes when I do see married people, I had this happen once, and I said to my husband, I'm like, how are they a couple? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, they're married. And I was like, no, 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 it doesn't make any sense. They're like, they don't belong together. And he goes, well, they're married. You know, it's very matter of <laughs> One fact second, about you it. said it. They're I said soulmates. That, right. They're soulmates, right? And I was like, they are soulmates, but they don't make sense. Right. And like six months later, I heard they got divorced. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but sometimes but people that, who don't make sense have are very happy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, they had this one had like more conflict. Right. It wasn't just that it didn't make sense. There were other things that seemed off. But that's a little bit, it, it, just, oh, it just makes me uncomfortable. Right. Uh, to see things or, or not to know if you know something, but to think you know something and, and to humble yourself and to go, shh, shh, let it play out. You don't know which way, you know, you know, you don't know which way it's going to go. Sometimes it doesn't go the way that you think. Let it be, let it be. Right. Um, back to something that Ida said before in uh, sharing that I got married at 18. And it's something that I've been thinking about when I speak to people at all different ages is we did an episode titled this, um, trust the timing of your life that like you say, if you're married to this person, Hashem ordained that you should be marrying your soulmates, mm-hmm. trusting the timing of your life. If something in you got you to get married young, mm-hmm. that was meant for you. If you're still single now in your 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. that's your journey. And to trust the timing that your soulmate is out there and Absolutely. you're meant to get married in your 30s and 40s. And that's Absolutely. when it's meant to be for you. Um, or 50s or 60s, whatever it may be. Yeah. 
Um, we wanted to ask you about the show and we were discussing earlier about being authentic. How was that for you being a matchmaker being filmed versus, and your data is being filmed versus just talking privately in a room to somebody? So there are things that I would say privately to somebody that I might not want announced to the world. Um, but with some of the daters, we did get really intimate and I would ask permission. Is it okay? Can we talk about something? But it, everything was live in the moment. So I really had to gauge by the person and their personality, how open they wanted to be, how much they were willing to share. So for example, one of the women I asked, I said, I have a sensitive question. Did you preserve your fertility? And she said, no, I didn't. And, you know, did you have a fertility check? She said, yes, I did. Poo, poo, poo. Everything looks good. But that's a really intimate question to ask. And I, I, you know, I'm on the fly. Everything, it's a reality, it's a reality show. So everything, it's like this, like this podcast, I don't know what's coming out of my mouth, right? I'm listening to you. You're listening to me. We're interacting. Uh, something new comes to my mind and I'm going to share it. But as I'm sharing it, I'm going, right. And you're on a microphone right. and there's a camera in front of you. And, and if you notice, there's like many faces of Aliza and, and you know, you'll see my eyebrows go up and down, <laughs> you know, there's a very expressive Aliza and actions speak louder than words sometimes too. And so it could be that my words didn't say something, but my face might've been telling. And I had to have an awareness of what was happening. So I had to be even more conscious of, listen, I think I, and I don't know about you, but I assume you also try to speak accurately and intelligently and kindly to the people that you're working with as, as I mean, anybody in any situation, like you just want to be the best version of yourself. But now it's, I want to be the best version of myself and in front of like millions of people. Right, right. So there is a heavy weight and a pressure. Right. And every time before I went on, I said, Hashem, please put the right words in my mouth at the right time. Let me not say anything that's just not just so. Uh, and can I, can I and tell you? you did a great job. Yeah. Can I tell you one? I have one thing that I regret. Okay. One regret. And, and I wish that it would have been different or that I wish that I would have had the awareness in that moment. And I'm going to say sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, in the first episode, I tell where I'm from. I say, Pardes Chana Israel. And we just moved there two years ago. And then they say, and, and, you know, where'd you grow up? I said, Philadelphia. And then I said, not so exciting. Okay. Not so nice. That's really Lashon Hara about a city. It's not speaking kindly, whether it's not a person, but it's a place. Right. It has integrity. It has a charisma. It has a lot of things going for it. It's not really what I meant. I really meant to say it's not so exotic. Okay. I just moved to Israel, my lifelong dream, right. palm trees and blue right. skies. Right. Right? It's not exotic. So Philadelphia compared to Israel is not exotic, but for me, it's not exotic because I think somebody from Israel might go to Philadelphia and think it's exotic. Wherever you come from right. is kind of not so exciting. It's, right. it's normal. It's very normal to you. But I regret having said that. We did a showing of the show in Philadelphia last night. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they showed oh, episode oh one. Gosh. And as soon as I say, not so exciting, the entire audience goes, boo. <laughs> oh, oh, and I stand up and I go, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and they all laugh. Come the to Israel. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, but I... But really, just think about that moment. How many moments like that and how much pressure was I under because we yeah. were having an hour and a half meeting with the people that I was meeting and you're going to catch three minutes of that hour and a half meeting. 
and you don't know what they're right. going to catch or right. what they're going to do. And to hold yourself to a high standard, I messed up in that moment. That was a mistake. I don't like it. I wish they would dub over and put it and let it say not so exotic. It wouldn't be offensive. But they're right. not going to do that for you. I didn't. I should have. If I saw this and I, yeah. I don't know. No, I saw it's, it's a risk you take when you're right. on no, no, TV no. You see, also. they did let me see different iterations, and I did give comments and feedback, which they weren't. They didn't have to take, but they were very open to receiving things. And I miss. I don't know if I didn't see it or I missed it or whatever. It didn't, it didn't hit where I didn't, I don't know. I didn't think of it in that moment yeah. to say, can you dub over like that? Well, right. The power but of words, you know, it's the power of words. And I made but a mistake. You know and, what? And it was I'm a just lot of thinking, pressure. I know this was on live TV, but sometimes yes. someone can say something to you and you may not have meant it, but, and they're going to remember it for the rest of their lives. Right. Right. So if I had to mess up anywhere, yeah. I'm extremely sorry to the city of Philadelphia. <laughs> no, but I am really glad well. I didn't do that to the face of somebody, yeah. to a human being that right. was right there. It was too But I'm very sorry that it's, I mean, it's a city, it's a whole community, yeah. it's a whole, you know, it's a state, it's yeah. a, there's a whole, uh, whatever, there's just, it's it's a lot. But I I also was very worried that I would do something, it, you, you, you know, sometimes you say something and you're like, no, that's not what I meant by that. Right. I, it just came right. out yeah. in a funny way. There was always that pressure. There and there's always, always going to be when we're human beings pre- and we're human beings. And we're never gonna say when you're perfectly. in the spotlight with lots of people, there's even more pressure because there's so many more voices going, not like that, not like that. And for me, it's a magnification of who you are and you're either going to shine and do great or you're not. And I'm, I'm grateful that if there's a flaw, that that's my biggest flaw and that everything else I was able to do to the best of my ability. And they represented me truly how I feel I am. And that you one did thing shine I really and regret. you did do great. Thank you. And what's Thank more you. important than the mistake or the blunder that most of us experience is that you were willing to step up and say, I messed up and I'm sorry. And, and that's I think Chuva. that's really huge. Right. I'm sure that's we have some listeners, from, some listeners from Philadelphia. So I, they're going boo. <laughs> I <laughs> no, know. They're hearing you. Listen, I was born and raised in Philly. I love Philadelphia. Right. I just had moved. I mean, also it was during an international pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> At that time, Philadelphia wasn't so exciting. No place in the world was. But the truth is somebody in the audience yelled out. They go, there's a, Philadelphia is actually number one. It's the most exciting city on, in, right now. It's the hottest city. I said, oh, Hashem. <laughs> Hashem is very good. Like Hashem takes care of me. And also when I need like a little, a potch or a slap on the back, you know, like not a good slap. Hashem goes, you see, it's listed as the number one most exciting city. You're wrong. And everybody knows you're wrong. Not just you feel bad. (laughs) You're wrong. So I feel like I, I stand corrected and I feel humbled to to be able to say I made a mistake and yeah. it wasn't the right thing. I think when we make mistakes, it does humble us. Very so much it, so. It reminds us we Very are human so. and so. and we've got work to do. And but. it's hard. And listen, it, if if for the reason like not to appear perfect, right? Because there is no such thing as perfection. Right. We are perfectly right. imperfect yeah, in right. this world. I'm not perfect either, and I do make mistakes, and I try to make as few as possible, and I try to live to be my best self, but I'm not perfect either. And and you can see, oh, it looks lovely with her house and her husband and her life and matchmaking, and isn't this great, right? Right, Uh, and you don't always say the right (laughs) thing. And you know what? That's the lesson of matchmaking also, and and for for couples who are dating, that nobody's perfect. Right. You and know, people say wrong that, things. On yeah, people, no, I'm saying for time. even people to recognize when they're dating somebody, you know what? Yeah. I'm not perfect. And this person I'm dating is not perfect. So what is it that 
I'm looking for that really means most to me because right. I'm not going to marry someone perfect. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think one more question and then we have the wrapping up. Yeah. But, but kind of has me thinking about like someone saying the wrong thing on a date. Um, what might happen is that they say this thing and then this person, you know, the person they're dating is sort of like, oh, you know, no one's perfect. No one's perfect. So mm. there's a, there's a great book called The Narcissism Epidemic that I read a while ago. And I feel like sometimes there's this, there are narcissistic tendencies. Mm-hmm. I think they exist more amongst men than women, but that, that, that are hard to catch. Mm-hmm. And um, so how much compassion does a person have for another person's weaknesses before saying, okay, no, no one's perfect, but no. Not this, for me. Right, right. There's a level of connection versus a level of how much we are triggered by other people. And so a lot of things have to be in alignment for us to be together. And a lot of things have to, the things that don't align or where we have fears or, or insecurities or discomforts, there's a difference between us, but there can't be a large amount of friction. If there's a large amount of friction, it causes a fire in the relationship and it ruins it. If there's friction and it's irritating, eh, it's just irritating. I don't like it. Stop doing that, but it doesn't make me crazy and I can't live with you. Mm -hmm. So we have to be with somebody that we can handle. It's You're going to get all the good and you get all the other. The good is what you want. That's why you choose them. That's why you say yes. The other, it's what comes with the package. Can you handle it? Oh, you can? Good. Do you like it? No, you're never going to like it. Can you handle that? No. Okay. Is that good? Yeah. Oh, but you can't handle that. doesn't matter how good the good is if I can't handle the other side. Right. Right. Uh, well, on the subject of, of flaws or, or um, mistakes. Is there reminding you of the, the freckle on the face? Yes. Segment? And, and okay. then we, we were having all these discussions before we were interviewing. <laughs> I was like watching you. Well, I'll let you do the freckle on the face. No, this you is go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> um, well, the freckle on the face. Well, no, you'll do the freckle on the face. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you, let's say you... You, you're in this re, re, um, dynamic as you're dating and you realize this person's bringing a certain side out in you. He brings out a really good side out in mm-hmm. you, but also another side. Um, would this happen in any relationship? You know, would this, would this side of me be like that if I was go, dating someone else? Maybe someone else would just bring out my best side and less of that. Or would this dynamic be in another relationship too? Like how do you know if a flaw is being brought out when you're dating someone that that would is is because of this person or it would be me in another situation as well it's kind of like marriage as well if certain sides come out in you in in a relationship would i be like this with somebody else or is it right. my dynamic with this person i think that we have to have somebody bring out our best side much more than 50% of the time. It can't be 50% they do and 50% they don't. I think we need to be over 75 or at least over 70% of the time we're bringing out the best, we're doing it. And then the other 30% of the time it's like, okay, human, I'm human, I'm human. We're trying, we're trying, we're trying. But I don't think it can be 50-50. I think it's too low. And I think that there are people that are going to be better matches, less triggering for you. And you should seek somebody out like that. If you're a highly disagreeable or challenging human, Okay, maybe like 60 or 65%. Mm-hmm. But, right. but for other people... That's good. That's a good gauge. Yeah. Yeah. You say the freckle thing. No, we, were just, we, we did an interview where, <laughs> where um, you know, the, our guest said that if someone's dating and they don't like the freckle on the person's face, then they shouldn't marry them, meaning that's how kind of self, selfish you have to be. Uh-huh. But I guess in context, you know, what it means is that if that bothers you so much, where like it 
kind of triggers you, then, then, okay. But if it's like, okay, I don't like their freckle, but I can handle it because all the other stuff is so great, then it's worth, you know, continuing or it's worth like acknowledging that I'm, I, I might want this person. Right. So that's the freckle thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. We have the answer now. <laughs> okay. So, um, well, you yeah. kind of said that you would explore to see if that really means so much to the person Correct. by sending them on a blind date or sending them on a date and seeing if that's something that or really bothers them. Or letting them beat five times yeah. before And then if, a if you see that it still bothers them, then right. you know that that's a priority for them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Bottom line is you need a good dating coach. Yeah. <laughs> who knows what they're doing because no, this I is think not it's easy. No, I think it's so important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is more on a, a personal level, if you're cool with that. Like, is there something that you wish you would have known when you were dating? I wish I would have had even more support. I had a support network, but I was figuring out and doing a lot of the things on my own. And I was kind of asking questions and researching and being in touch with people. But I didn't have a direct, clear path with clear messages of what to do and how to do it. And I am somebody who likes details, information and guidance. So I had a nice support network, but I didn't have a strong enough one, which is probably what motivated me to create that for other people. And um, what advice would you have given your younger self? We got engaged and we got married uh, under a quicker timeline. I grew up secular and I became observant. And then we dated for three weeks and we got married four months later. For me, it happened to have worked. It was fast, but I move at a very fast pace. Um, for my husband, it was okay. For my husband, you know, for my in-laws, it was okay. He was the first one in the family to get married. They were thrilled. But from my side, I was the oldest. And it was the first time that my family was going you were through the guinea this. Pig. I was the me guinea too. pig. <laughs> right. And we did it in what they would consider an insanely fast timeline. I grew mm-hmm. up secular. So you get married in, you know, a year, yeah, yeah. two right. years, you get engaged, you got plenty of time. And I'm putting a tremendous amount of stress on my family to do this and to take care of it. And I would have said, you know what? Six months, you want to get married in six months, you know, maybe date longer than three weeks and then wait. You're saying you would have done that. I think I would have said not for my sake and not for the sake of the relationship, but for the sake of my family to get more comfortable, to get more used to it. I would have said, let's do it that way. Knowing only what I know, which is what we did we did it. We got through it. We managed it and we were able to move on. And because we were married, everybody accepted the situation. So had we, I'm going to say lengthened the process, I don't know that it would have been better for me. And I don't know that it would have been better for my relationship. I think it would have been better for my family, but everybody got on board the way that we did it. It just, it just caused a lot of stress friction. in a short amount of time, a lot of friction. Right. But I would say, I mean, the, the Lubavitch Rebbe was very, um, you know, into waiting as short amount, like not a long time, like short as possible engagement and to get married right away. Right. Not as short as possible dating. Short engagement. Yeah, engagement. Yeah, short yeah. engagement. Short right. as possible. Right, longer dating, shorter engagement. Yeah, so right. dating, so, so, so there's clarity. Longer. I don't know about longer dating. If someone has clarity in a short amount of time. No, that, but I think you're right that there is a concept to have a longer dating period compared to Yeah, the I'm saying some people, period, need to, some, people, some people need to have longer dating period. Yeah, right. but the engagement shorter. The engagement, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah shorter and that I think a lot of 
parents kind of get lost in the wedding planning and forget also, about the yeah. Also, group. and we didn't get lost in any of that. It's like just figure it out. It doesn't right, really matter. Right, we're bring, I want right. as many people as we can have, and doing this and uh, serve buffet and make it less this or more like whatever's cheaper so that we can have more people. And on on our centerpieces, we had um, gift baskets that were donation that we gave to um, you know people who were hungry and needed food. We had that was our centerpiece. It wasn't a gorgeous thing of flowers. It was literally cans in this wow. gorgeous wrap with bows and things like that. Cause I said, That's uh, beautiful. Flower, what do yeah. I do with flowers? I'm going to throw it away. Let's right. make something meaningful. So we did things like that and we, it didn't become all about the, right. the money and the wedding and planning right. something so luxurious. Right. That's really nice. Beautiful. And refreshing. Special. Special. Um, are you and your husband similar or different? Like in personality? Uh, in personality, we, we actually did a whole personality yeah, analysis. Do you, do you like doing that with I your... do. I very much yeah. do. I like to see similarities and where people are going to have disconnects and challenges. Uh, but we are more similar in personality and we're also both strong willed and would the word stubborn would probably be appropriate for both of us. Are you going to coach your kids? <laughs> oh, yes. We have, oh, if you think you've got two strong-willed parents, try the children. Oh, my. It's, uh, we're, we're very chazak, chazak, yeah. you know? And, uh, and they have in-house yeah. counsel. What, yeah. do you, what do you do with two chazak people? Well, the interesting thing is um, the concept, I heard this from Rabbi Fischel Schachter, that only a diamond can cut another diamond. So you, you write, you have two, the hardest stone. And then when you're cutting, 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 that refines itself. We refine ourselves through each other. Mm. And so we've actually both become softer and easier over time. We've learned how to work with each other. We move around each other and we've really figured things out. So there's, there's been a tremendous blessing, but it's, it was a challenge at first, <laughs> you know, two hard headed people that are committed to what they want. And it's like, well, who's going to win? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> well, we both won. We both wanted to <laughs> each other and, uh, you know, we both committed to Aliyah, but when I said it's time to go and he's like, well, and I was like, no, no, no. you know, he put me off for a bunch of years. He's like, it's not right. the right moment. So he said no for a while. And then when I said now, and it was the right moment, he's like, yeah, you're right. So we, we've learned to navigate right. together. Right. Go yeah. for it. Right. If you had to put, um, one of your phrases, cause you have some great catchy <laughs> phrases. We shared some of them, um, today on a billboard, which one would it be? Oh, for so everybody funny. to see, for all your things, something, something that you something want, something that's catchy, right? That so, you want them to take with them. Oh, your singles. And... I, I'll tell you what I would put, and I wouldn't put. Uh, it's not necessarily catchy, but it's how I end everything, and it's how the whole entire show was ended. I would put a blessing, and I would put, you know, like with hashtag Amen, and and let people realize that there is a strength and a power in a blessing in, in what we give to each other, the words that we use to uplift each other and the way that we accept that. And we say, amen, yes, I agree. That's for me, I want that. So I would put one of my famous Elisa blessings on it. What, what is one of your famous Elisa blessings? I just come up with it in the moment. You want okay. a what blessing for the singles? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> I just, it just, I just it downloads. Okay. Uh, but this is, I'll go along the lines of something very typical that I say, which is, May each and every one of you that is searching for your soulmate, may you find them. May it be with ease and may it happen this year. Amen. Amen. And do you have a favorite quote? Ooh. We always end with a quote. Oh, a quote. Yeah. Date them till you hate them. When you don't go out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, th I think that trust the timing of your life can also be a nice yes. quote yeah. for today. Is yes. that you know, Hashem is, has a plan for you, and 
in the right time. Your person is here. Yeah. The, yeah. Your person is here, and you're just going to play a little game to find them, but you should just know your person is here. They're, they exist. They're living. They're breathing. They are here. Have that confidence, and now go into the world and date. To go find them. It's a big world. And leave regret in the past, you know, because sometimes regrets can hold us back if you think it's my mistake that I'm not yeah, with Yeah, we do dating detoxes for that. I have a whole course. Anything that I have a concept about, I create a catchy something and I turn it into a course so that Good I can share the wisdom. I love that. I love that. It gives everyone, it gives us hope that if you're single, if someone is single and looking for their soulmate, he or she is out there. Yeah. You just have to uh, make the hashtablos. Yeah, you do your part and God will do your part. Yeah, God will hold your hand and, and follow through for you. Mm-hmm. Elisa, what a pleasure to yeah, have you here with you us today. Thank you for your wisdom, your insight um, into dating and and guidance into helping singles find their soulmates. And thank you so much. And for changing the world, you make one shit up. Really, just the assist. Hashem makes all the matches in the okay. world. Okay, yeah. I'm You're Hashem's partner, but you're the vessel. Yes. Well, you should continue to, and you should have lots of success, and continue spreading your light. You've made such a kiddush Hashem yeah. on the Netflix show, Jewish Matchmaking, and just continue doing your thing. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. I